Hello and welcome to Episode 10 of the Business Divorce Roundtable. I'm Peter Mahler, business divorce lawyer and partner at Farrell Fritz in New York City. If you're a business appraiser or a lawyer like me who gets involved in stock valuation proceedings, then you know how important the discount for lack of marketability can be. Exhibit A to that statement being the almost half a billion dollar marketability discount in the Arizona Ice-T case. And if you read my New York Business Divorce blog, or if you've listened to my interview of Chris Mercer in Episodes 1 and 2 of this podcast, you know of my own fascination with the marketability discount in New York statutory fair value proceedings. Some have argued that New York's approach, which insists that the discount should be considered at the control level and not at the minority interest level, not only is out of step with the rest of the country, but has no empirical support and is inconsistent with the rationale New York courts use to prohibit minority discounts in fair value proceedings. But that's not the generally accepted view based on the New York case precedents, and thus business appraisers appropriately, at least as far as precedent goes, continue to use the marketability discount and courts, with some exceptions, continue to apply it in fair value proceedings. In this episode, I continue my exploration of the marketability discount with business appraiser Greg Barber, the managing director at Barber Analytics in San Francisco, who has bravely jumped into the debate over New York's singular approach to the application of the marketability discount. Greg is a corporate valuation expert who focuses on valuations for statutory and minority shareholder buyouts. Greg recently published a very interesting article on the subject in the New York State Bar Association Journal in which he addresses the challenges faced by appraisers and, for that matter, lawyers in trying to navigate the seemingly inconsistent case authorities applying and sometimes rejecting marketability discounts in fair value cases. In the interview, as well as in his article, Greg discusses the leading New York cases which he describes as having a split personality creating confusion among business appraisers. But he doesn't advocate ditching the discount. Rather, as you'll hear, Greg advances an economic argument that calls for courts to adopt a flexible approach designed to maximize wealth creation behavior by applying or withholding the marketability discount so as not to reward oppressive conduct by majority or minority shareholders and conversely not to penalize productive behavior. Without further ado, I give you Greg Barber. Greg, welcome to the Business Divorce Roundtable. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, Greg. You and your firm, Barber Analytics, are based in San Francisco. I'm curious how you got interested in stock appraisal under New York's statutory fair value standard in dissenting shareholder proceedings and minority shareholder buyouts. You know, I'm interested in minority shareholder rights across the country. New York kind of stands out in, in allowing a discount, a discount for lack of marketability, whereas most of the other states, I think probably 47 out of 50 don't allow it. But, you know, New York does. So I thought it was unique and I thought it was interesting to kind of delve into the cases and, and, and see why New York thought it was appropriate. In California, where you're based, I imagine you handle some statutory proceedings there as well. Do, does that state recognize uh, minority and marketability discounts in uh, either cases involving shareholders of, in corporations or LLC members? The corporate statute is different than the LLC statute. And the corporate statute in general allows us to simulate the sale of the company under sort of a court-ordered sale. And so when you simulate that type of a sale, you're simulating the sale of the whole business. The shareholders are all going to receive the same amount 
So there's no discount for uh, marketability or minority because you're simulating the sale of the whole company. So no, generally no discounts for uh, minority or lack of marketability. And the reason even is some consideration that in the sale of the whole business, you might get a premium over top of uh, what it would trade for on the public markets, for example. Is that by statute or case law that those (laughs) discounts are disallowed? I would say more by case law than by statute. I think that's fair to say. So you wrote this wonderful article recently that was published in the New York Bar Journal, and I got a very minor byline as having assisted in the research, but I guarantee our listeners that every word of it is is yours, and, and the thesis is yours as well. Why now? Why is, why is this a, an important issue now for New York anyway? Well, I think discounting shares of private companies in a statutory buyout situation introduces an incentive to the majority shareholders to engage in behavior that, you know, isn't productive for society as a whole. I don't think that's good public policy. I gather that you follow case law developments in New York and probably elsewhere as well. Absolutely. And and there have been some significant developments in New York in the last, I'd say, two or three years, some cases starting to depart from what some might consider a knee-jerk application of a you know, 20 or 25% marketability discount in, in fair value proceedings. Do, have you seen the same thing? Yeah, I, I think there was a lower court case in, in New York, and, and I think the judge decided not to apply discount at all or a marketability discount at all. And I think you'll probably know the name of that case, but it escapes me uh, at the moment. Uh, probably Zalouf is my guess. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Let me start with a, a quote, a, a short quote from your article, which I found to be very intriguing. You, you wrote that the discussion that is here in New York has become an increasingly entangled series of misunderstandings, miscommunication, and inconsistencies among appraisers, attorneys, and the courts. What's that about? As an appraiser looking at these decisions, reading these decisions, you can't help but think these courts have misinterpreted the articles that they're citing and using them as support for their position when, in fact, they don't. Or somehow appraisers must have miscommunicated to the judges and attorneys when and how we apply marketability discounts because we don't apply them in the way that the New York courts have. So I just think there must be some miscommunication or some misunderstanding because it doesn't make sense to us. Well, that's that's a very bold statement. Now, in your article, you delve into that by taking a look back at, I guess, what we would consider the origins of the marketability discount in New York fair value proceedings, starting with the famous Blake case. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a case I know I've written about on my blog, and I know I've talked about it with Chris Mercer when I interviewed him on marketability discount. I, I gather from your article and your comment just now that you're of the view that the support, the authorities that the Blake case cited for application of the marketability discount the support isn't there. Uh, is, is that pretty much where you come out? Yeah, I think that's true. I think if you read the articles, that they, especially the articles, I know they cited two articles and, and, and one court case, but especially the articles, you know, both the articles say things kind of at odds with what the court's conclusion is. So 
it seems inconsistent to cite something that doesn't support what you're uh, contending. Blake was decided in the mid-80s, 1980s. Now that's, right. now we're talking, what, 30 years ago. Has the state of the wisdom in the business divorce, uh, business divorce, excuse me, in the business valuation community changed in the 30 years? I think the principles that were described in Blake about how we apply discounts when we're valuing minority interests in private companies, I don't think that's really changed that much. Let me remind listeners who don't already know that in Blake is still one of the leading New York appellate cases on uh, valuation in statutory fair value proceedings. And the takeaway from the decision was that any discount for a lack of control, also known as the minority discount, is not allowed, whereas a marketability discount should be considered in statutory fair value proceedings. And the reason for the former was that it unfairly penalizes a minority shareholder and in a way encourages bad behavior by by an oppressive majority, whereas the Blake court insisted that the marketability discount is different and, and that it, it's allowed because shares of a closely held corporation can't readily be sold on a public market. Do you see those two positions on the, on the minority and marketability discounts as stated in Blake? Are, are they consistent? No. Again, I'm kind of feeling the frustration with the, the, a lot of appraisers feel when they're trying to explain this to the courts. Is when we look at discounts, first we decide what's the type of interest that we're valuing. Are we valuing the whole company or are, are we valuing a minority interest in a private company? If the latter is true, then we'll take both discounts. We'll take a discount for lack of marketability and minority. If the former is true, then we won't take any discounts. So on the one hand, not apply the minority discount. And then on the other hand, to apply the marketability discounts means you're taking attributes of two different types of interests. And you're saying that this interest that we're valuing is both a minority and majority at the same time. And they, those type of interests don't exist in the real world. That's why we're confused as appraisers. Is the relevant comparison the sale of the entire company or what I would call enterprise value versus the sale of, an, of minority shares on a public market? Mm, no. In, in no instance are these shares in these private companies going to be sold on a public exchange. You, you're either dealing with a sale of these private company shares to in an arm's length transaction or you're dealing with the sale of the whole company. I don't know how public company shares enter into the equation. If you accept, I guess for argument's sake, you would say Blake's view that the marketability discount should apply, what's the answer to the question that follows? That is, you know, what discount from enterprise value is appropriate because of the longer time it would take to sell the company? Yeah, and I think that's the only thing that makes sense to appraisers. I've done a little bit of work around how long it takes to sell a private company, and I know you've done a little. Uh, I've heard some statements from you that it's a few months to up to eighteen months, but I did a, a look at a whole bunch of transactions. I think there was many thousand private company sales, and and they averaged. I think it was five to seven months was the average time for sale. The the only thing that I think might be appropriate is to consider a, a six month period over which it would take to sell the whole company. And that implies a, a risk factor based on the passage of that of the time. Right, because we don't know what you're going to receive uh, for the company. But, you know, those, a six-month period is quite a bit different than the studies that are quoted often in the cases that the restricted stock companies have holding periods of a year or two years. 
there's a big difference between a six-month hold and, and a one-year or, or a two-year hold in terms of the size of the marketability discount. If you take that approach, to what extent do you need to look at the you know, dividend history of the company, for instance? Because during that same time period, at least the, the, certainly the controllers, or some of the owners anyway, if not all of them, are receiving, presumably are receiving uh, profits generated in that, in that same time period. Right. And that's why one of the considerations is the length of the holding period. But the other one is, you know, how are control shares different than minority shares in terms of their dividends? You know, as a controller, as you stated, you get dividends, you get the earnings of the company over that time period. So that would even further reduce any marketability discount over that six month holding period. Is there a consensus in the business valuation community whether marketability discounts should apply at the enterprise level, whether it's under a fair value or a fair market value standard? You know, as I said, I think Gil Matthews and Chris Mercer and myself, we're generally on the side that we shouldn't apply uh, those discounts um, because that's how the courts have instructed us in, you know, 94% of the uh, states. So we generally don't. But I, I wouldn't say that there's consensus. I think it's not really our decision. It's the court's decision. It's the statute's decision or the legislature's. And, and we're just really trying to provide the values to the courts that they want. I think we all have personal opinions, but that shouldn't really enter into the equation when we're asked to do something by the courts. You said a, a few minutes ago something that interested me was that if the valuation exercise is to value not at the enterprise level, but ultimately to value the uh, you know, a, a minority interest in, in the enterprise, you would look at both a minority and a marketability discount. Do I have it right so far? Correct. And in, in that exercise, how does the marketability discount really differ from the minority discount? I mean, are you are you looking at different risks, or how do they differ? I think it's a little bit misleading that we have these two discounts. The reason we have them is because the way we're able to measure them. A marketability discount's measured between the value of the company as if it was private and as if it were public. And and we can measure these discounts because in the restricted stock studies, we have companies that are both traded on the public exchanges, and they have restricted shares that aren't traded, and, and they suffer from a lack of marketability. So we're able to measure the data we have there measures a lack of marketability ability only because we're both both these transactions in the shares are in minority shares of very small interest in the company. So there's no issue with control. The control premium or uh, what we call a discount for lack of control or unfortunately also a minority discount is when entire companies sell. So you see their stock price and you measure and you compare it to what the whole company sold for. And we have a couple different kinds of buyers uh, of companies or what we call financial buyers and then synergistic buyers. You know, we can look at those transactions and say, oh, this is how much these companies have paid for control of the company. So that's where we get our data for for the you know lack of uh, marketability and lack of control. You know, ideally, if we were valuing a minority interest in a private company, all we do is go and look at sales of, you know, transactions where minor, minority interests have sold in that same company. That's the best source of data, assuming that we have people that are transacting in the shares that are well informed and, and know what they're doing. We don't often have that. So we have to go often to public companies and even sales of similar companies. When I say sales, I mean sales of the entire company. Because we have insufficient data for minority interest transactions in private companies or the specific private company, we have to kind of extend and reach ourselves into these other areas where we do have transactions 
And because those transactions and, and sales happen at a different level of value, and I know you've talked to Chris about this, we have to apply these discounts to get back down to the level of value that we want. Are there any studies you're aware of of the marketability discount at the enterprise level? Not pure ones like the restricted stock studies because it's hard to describe it. If we wanted a pure study like the restricted stock studies, we'd have to find sales of companies or a company that occur in three days and then the sale of the same company that occurred six months later. But those, they don't exist because you can't sell a company within three days and then sell it again in six months. They don't exist. Greg, your article focused on a trilogy of New York cases, Blake, which was the the first one, and we you mentioned yeah. that already, and you make it sound like Blake sent us somewhat down the wrong path on marketability discount. The two other cases that you discuss in your article are the Seagrote and Bway cases, which were decided by New York's highest court. I think both of those were in the 1990s. I could be mistaken. Do those cases help or hinder as far as you know correcting the path that Blake? put the courts on? It's a good question. I don't think we're any further ahead, quite frankly, than where we started with Blake. I'm still unsure, even after B-Way, which was 95, which was, I think, the last uh, significant bio case that made it to the Court of Appeal. So I don't feel like we're any further ahead. I think Seagrote might have might have been more clear about what they were looking for, but it would probably, my reading of Seagro would imply that we should value a company taking into account both discounts. But B-Way kind of moved away from that and was very strong in supporting uh, that there shouldn't be any minority discount, but then did apply a discount for lack of marketability. So I think we're back to where we were. Seagrode, if I recall correctly, was the case in which the court ultimately upheld an appraisal where the, the evaluator testified that he included or baked into mm-hmm. his discount rate a discount for marketability, and that was upheld. And and I was always surprised in years afterward that more appraisers didn't emulate that technique. Any, Any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the data is for that technique. You know, we have good data on lack of marketability measured directly, so I'm not sure where he got his data. You know, he added a premium, obviously, to his discount rate to account for the lack of marketability. I don't know what the source of data is for that and with, and how reliable it is. Uh, moving on to the, the third case in the trilogy, B-Way. In your article, you referred to B-Way as contributing to the, quote, split personality, close quote, of, of the New York court's approach to DLAM. Yeah. <laughs> Care to expand on that? Sure. I mean, it's what I've been trying to say for most of the interview is that you, you can't have an interest that has characteristics of a minority interest and a majority interest. It, it, it's either a majority interest, either we're valuing the corporation as a whole and the shareholders getting his or her pro rata share of that, or we're valuing a minority interest in a private company. And therefore, a discount for lack of marketability would apply as well as if required based on the valuation methods, perhaps a, a minority discount as well. It can only be control or minority in this private company. It can't be both. And that's why, you know, I call it a split personality, but you're taking attributes of two different types of interests and combining them into one that doesn't exist in the real world. One of the main takeaways from B-Way that you see cited and quoted in other cases all the time is that its strong position against a minority discount 
stems from this mandate of equal treatment of all shares of mm. the same class. Does its affirmance of a marketability discount, do you think that that violates that very same mandate? Um, I think it does. I, I think if you apply the discount for lack of marketability to the minority shares, then the majority are going to end up buying those shares at a, I think it was a 20 to 30% discount. I forget what the number was. They can turn around and sell those shares uh, in the sale of the whole company uh, at a control level with no discount for lack of marketability inside of six months. So they, you know, the minority in B-Way is not being treated the same as um, the majority. You know, just to back up a little bit, I think this whole concept of equal treatment to me is more applicable or makes more sense in the context of dissenters rights or appraisal rights in in a transaction context more than it doesn't make as much sense to me in in a buyout situation. Yeah. And B-Way was a dissenting shareholder case, whereas Blake and I think Seagrove too were buyouts under what is Section 1118 of New York's business corporation law after a minority shareholder brought a judicial dissolution proceeding alleging, you know, oppression. Which way does it cut then the fact that it applies this this equal treatment mandate seems more applicable in the dissenting shareholder uh, scenario? How how does that cut vis-a-vis the other scenario. Well, that kind of reasoning, and, and this is kind of a personal opinion, makes more sense to me under the, the dissenters' right. So I'm not sure the equal treatment, and you know, and I investigated, and I'm not sure where it says it in the statute that all shareholders must be treated equally. But I suspect it's somewhere, you know, in the uh, transaction uh, section of, of of the statute, not under the shareholder buyout section. That is true. I think it's, I don't know, Section 500-something of the Business Corporation Law has language the BOA court is referring to. So that's, you know, to me, it just makes more sense under that. You know, you've got a a sale of a company and you've got three different kinds of shares. One pays a dividend and one doesn't and one has votes and one doesn't. and, And you just have to treat, you know, all the classes the same. That makes sense to me. In your article, you have a section toward the end of it, which you entitle A Broader Perspective. In that wind-up to your article, you talk about sort of what I call an economic theory that might provide some guidance to courts in applying or not applying uh, a marketability discount in fair value proceedings. Can you shed some further light on that? Sure. To be frank, I really didn't get into that side of the argument until I wrote the article, you know, in, in doing a little research around discounts and when they're applied and, and why courts apply them and uh, or why most courts don't apply them. I started investigating, you know, what's kind of the, the broader issue here? It seemed to me the broader issue was what kind of behavior are we trying to either penalize or incentivize? You know, if we want to have our business owners or entrepreneurs engaging in productive behavior that adds value and creates a bigger economy and creates wealth for everybody, then, you know, we want to kind of incentivize them or penalize them to focus their behavior in a certain direction. That direction is to create value and not to go in and take value from somebody else because that doesn't, you know, taking value from somebody else doesn't add value to the economy and doesn't make us uh, wealthier as a nation as, as a whole. So I thought that was a perspective that wasn't present in a lot of the court cases. It, it kind of gets mentioned or considered when a court would say, you know, we don't want to incentivize the majority to take from the minority through oppressive behavior and then buying their shares at a reduced cost. The court in saying that is is saying that's not fair, that's not right, 
but it also has a broader implication in terms of what we're trying to get everybody focused on in terms of the whole economy. You know, I thought I'd just expand on that argument that some some courts have made and kind of give it uh, a little more traction in terms of the economic theory behind it. So what would be the, the practical application of applying a marketability discount either as a penalty or as an incentive? What would that look yeah. like? So, you know, you kind of take a step back and you, you I don't know if it's what's fair or, or what the right term is, but you don't say, oh, well, what's fair for any particular shareholder? Because everybody can argue something different is fair for them uh, and fair overall. So, for example, if if the majority were oppressing the minority and forcing them out and trying to get them uh, trying to buy their shares at a, at a discounted price, that would be unproductive behavior. Uh, it doesn't create value. So that would be you wouldn't allow them to buy out the minority shares for a discounted value. So there wouldn't be any discount for lack of marketability or lack of control. The alternative that I talk about in the case is, you know, there are instances where the minority is the oppressor and they are engaging in behavior that's destructive of company value. And in that case, I think the example I used was that there was uh, an investor that bought shares from a family member at a fully discounted price because they bought them in an arm's length transaction uh, outside of a statutory environment. And, and they bought those at what we call a fully discounted price uh, for both lack of control and minority, and then engaged in uh, some actions to try to get company to buy them out at the pro rata share of the whole corporation value. You know, that's not behavior that uh, an entrepreneurial economist would say is good behavior either. We don't want to encourage that kind of behavior because that's not adding value either. So in that case, you know, the argument would be on an incentives basis that you shouldn't be able to get a premium for your shares over what you bought them for just because you were able to engage in this behavior, which was uh, not productive. So you'd apply discounts uh, for lack of marketability and control in that instance. It's a much more fluid way of looking at things. You know, it's a perspective. I think there's many perspectives on what's the correct value here. But it kind of gives you a base as to, hey, what we're, what are we trying to achieve here? We're trying to create as much wealth as we can in the economy. Let's try to direct the behavior of our uh, entrepreneurs in a way that does that. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's uh, other arguments. There's just kind of a general fairness argument. But, you know, this is another argument and another way of looking at it that I think is helpful. In your article, you mentioned the Balsamides case, which was decided by, I think, the Supreme Court of New Jersey, where they yeah. did something like what you've just described. I believe that was that was an example where there was a minority shareholder who sought a solution who was determined to be the oppressor. Right. And under the New Jersey statute, I believe, the court had the authority to order a buyout uh, at a discount. Was that the outcome there? Yeah, so uh, the court did ultimately allow the oppressed shareholder uh, to buy out the oppressing shareholder at a pretty significant discount uh, for lack of marketability. So they still wouldn't apply uh, a minority discount, but they did apply the uh, discount for lack of marketability. And I forget the, um, the language, the precise language, but, uh, you know, I think in essence, the New York uh, or the, sorry, the New Jersey court said we just we don't want to encourage any bad behavior, period, uh, you know. Yeah, but then, but then, uh, but then, of course, that leaves the appraiser and counsel for the uh, shareholder who is doing the buying out to argue in support of a certain marketability discount. Right? You can't just pull it out of thin air. The appraiser now has to do his or her job of coming up with appropriate data to support whatever marketability discount they feel right. is appropriate. Whereas, I guess in other states, and Delaware, of course, is the first that comes to mind, they've totally dispensed with these 
these types of discounts, and many other states have as well, of course. So it doesn't matter uh, who behaved badly or or perfectly. It just right. it, it, it's just it's out of the case. So I'm not sure how that resolves the quandary of whether in those cases where there is bad behavior and the court decides that it is going to penalize the bad actor, are you back to the quandary of coming up with a marketability discount at the enterprise level where, according to many, I think including yourself, there's really no data that directly supports to discount at the enterprise level? You know, I think in that case, the court might ask us to value, you know, a minority interest in a private company. You know, that's what makes sense to me. Because, again, if we're valuing the whole enterprise, then I don't think discounts for lack of marketability are appropriate. So you're right. I mean, the the New Jersey court, you know, ended up at a value that, you know, again, doesn't exist in the real world. There is no interest that would sell at that value, in my opinion. It sounds, uh, again, once we start talking about using marketability discount as a tool to either, you know, reward in, in a way or penalize behavior, entrepreneurial behavior, it's starting to sound to me anyway more like a matter of legal or public policy to be decided um, by, you know, law-trained judges or legislators for that matter as opposed to a matter of business appraisal doctrine. Uh, absolutely. It, it's, it is not our expertise. We're not trained in the law or public policy. And, and God help us if the appraisers ever had to take over control of that in our economy. But um, yeah, you're right. It is absolutely a question of law. And, and as appraisers, we're just doing what you ask us to do. We just want to make sure you understand what we're giving you back. I, and I remember when you and I were talking, when you were uh, you had drafted your article, and I had just you know did some site checking and that kind of thing for it. I remember we had a discussion about whether New York's perhaps you might say peculiar statutory scheme, where you have a statutory right on the part of the corporation or the, or the majority when a minority shareholder seeks judicial dissolution to elect to buy out the minority shareholder as of right within 90 days. And very often that election is made within the 90-day period and long before, of course, there's been any determination by the court that there are or are not grounds for judicial dissolution. And under a, a plethora of New York cases, uh, the courts say that once there's the election, the issue of oppression is out of the case, and all we're going to focus on is valuation. So with that perhaps peculiar statutory structure, there would be a buyout election without any determination whether anyone has badly behaved, which would make it difficult, I think, to uh, apply, make a, a later determination in the context of valuation whether there was bad behavior that either would or wouldn't justify a marketability discount. Does that does that yeah. make sense? No, ab absolutely. I mean, uh, the New York scheme as it stands can't really be applied to, you know, incentives perspective uh, in terms of uh, determining uh, the correct level of value. Well, <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I don't know how to follow that one up. Um, I mean, it's true. I mean, everything you stated is true. And, and it's true. You don't, and you know this better than I do, but I don't think in 95 cases out of 100, there is a determination in a buyout context of who's at fault. I mean, I guess if you take the incentive, you know, slash penalty model mm -hmm. to an extreme, I suppose you could do the same thing with a discount rate or any other component of valuation? I mean, why why just the marketability discount? Well, again, the court needs to tell us, or the statute, or the legislatures, needs to just tell us what 
are we valuing? Are we valuing the whole company or are we valuing a minority interest in that private company? It's one or the other. I have to be an agnostic on all of these issues because uh, as a lawyer, I'll from time to time represent a majority uh, interest holder and other times a minority interest holder. So, uh, and others have said the same thing. And I know Chris Mercer has said the same thing that, you know, we're agnostic when it comes to whether the marketability discount should or shouldn't be applied in New York fair value proceedings. We just want some clarity. We just want the courts, if not the legislature, to decide what is the right way to do it and give us that direction, make it consistent. Right. And we'll, we'll follow the law, however it's decreed by statute or by case law. And, and, and in yeah. some ways, I think that is the nub of the problem and the issues that we have in New York and why I'm even having this conversation with you and why it is a controversial topic in New York. I had hoped at some point our highest court, the New York Court of Appeals, would get another crack at it. I mean, you mentioned, I think, probably correctly, that the B-Way case back in the mid-90s was the last time the New York Court of Appeals addressed the issue. So if, if that's the case, then, you know, it's been something like 20-odd years since they've looked at it, and there's been, you know, a lot of a lot of developments since then, and it would be very interesting and important, I think, for the Court of Appeals to take another look at this area. But so I don't know when or whether we'll ever get that kind of clarity that uh, I certainly would like to see, and it sounds like you would like to uh, see it as well. Yeah, I mean, just going back a little bit, I, you know, I think your comment that you know. We all just want to see uh, consistency and, 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 you know, unified voice in terms of what the New York courts want. I think it's been pretty unified that in general they want a discount for lack of marketability applied. You know, I think there's only been one case in New York where, where one wasn't applied or were considered. So I think the courts have been pretty consistent. The rub is with us is that the language doesn't make sense from a valuation perspective to define the interest as controlling or 100% of the enterprise in considering the minority discount, but then calling it a minority interest in a private company for consideration of the discount for lack of marketability. It's that kind of duality that gives us trouble as appraisers. I should mention uh, that there is one, other than the Zalouf case, which is the one we mentioned before, there is a appellate decision called CHU, C-H-I-U. Uh, Chris Mercer ha also happened to be the expert in that case on behalf of the, I think it was an LLC minority member who was being bought out, where they affirmed without any discussion a 0% marketability discount in the valuation of an interest in a real estate holding LLC. Under a, fair, mm -hmm. under a fair value standard. So there is a little more authority. I mean, I guess I was disappointed just because the court did not discuss it at all. It was, it was affirmed, mm -hmm. really, that piece of it was affirmed without any comment on the part of the court. So we, again, missed an opportunity for an appellate court to shed some light on why, in that case, uh, a, mar a zero marketability discount was appropriate. And that's, that's the kind of guidance that we're, we really are still missing. I mean, the Zalouf case was a very significant case in that regard. It, it, it was also somewhat special circumstances involving a family-owned business with um, some, you know, a rather unusual set of facts. I'll leave it at that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. we're still a bit in the wilderness here in New York. And, and Greg, 
I appreciate any effort from any corner of the country, including San Francisco, to help us get a little bit closer to a to to you know getting some more clarity on the issue. Your your article is a, is an important one, and I would certainly recommend to all of our listeners that they find it. I think, uh, Greg, you make it. You've invited anyone who's interested to email you, and you're yeah. you'll be able to forward a copy of that article. Is that right? It, we can do it that way or, or um, you know, just go to my website, barberanalytics.com, and uh, there's a copy of the article posted there. Perfect, perfect. Well, Greg, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Peter. That was Greg Barber of Barber Analytics adding more food for thought to the ongoing debate over the marketability discount. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, you'll definitely want to listen to my interview of Chris Mercer on the same subject in Episodes 1 and 2. Your support of the Business Divorce Roundtable is greatly appreciated by subscribing to the podcast and feedback by way of writing a review on iTunes. Also, if you're not familiar with my New York Business Divorce blog, check it out and subscribe to that as well. Till next time, this is Peter Mahler. Be well. Be well.